All right. So uh, we we have a lot to talk about on this glorious Friday. Uh, we'll do, you know, a little Sabres game recap. Marty St. Louis, very kind of uh, unconventional approach there in Montreal as they hire him as the head coach. Tip it out in Edmonton. He got fired. I mean, we thought that might have happened a while ago. Uh, was he the issue? Brad Marchand, six games. Uh, Felino two games. And we'll do some Super Bowl predictions because uh, doing a little research on these quarterbacks. And two great stories, by the way. They're great stories, the quarterbacks. So, um, But before we get into all that, can I show you something? Can I brag to you for a minute? Absolutely. I think I sent you a picture of this the other day. And, and honestly, it's been in the box since. And I put it back in the box after today. But check out what came in the mail for me last week. Holy jumping. Yeah. A little Emmy award. So eh? to, what, what does it say? Read it. Read it out there. It says uh, 19, uh, 2019, 2020 New York Emmy awards, sports interview discussion beyond blue and gold. Ray versus Domi, November 30th, 2019. Andrew Peters host. Good for you. Yeah. That's you fe- know what? feather I in mean, the old cap. eh? Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, Thanks, buddy. You you really did a fantastic job putting that together, and uh, you know a huge shout goes out to um, who is uh, the the Michelle Girardi Zumwalt. Michelle Girardi, yeah. I mean, she she really is a fantastic person, and she did a, a great job with her crew, and very deserving. Like, I'm really happy for. She's for won a lot of, of Emmys. Like she's won a lot, not oh, just. Oh, so she's just. This is this like. Is, a, so when she when she sunk her fangs into this project, you knew it was going to be gold. And that's and that's where you're bragging about it. She's using it as like a paperweight somewhere in her house. Not a yeah. big deal because she's got a few of them, eh? Yeah, I think I think she's probably got uh, maybe four, five, six. I think she she was with NFL Films before. She did the uh, ESPN 30 for 34 Falls of Buffalo. Um, and uh, she's done other, other documentaries uh, around the Sabres with Blue and Beyond Blue and Gold that have won awards as well. So this, this, being, uh, this being one of them, and I was just fortunate enough to be a part of it. So, yeah. Well, a good, again, a shout out to Michelle uh, Girardi and her team. Because uh, you know it's a it's a it's a team to to be able to do something like that and uh, congratulations that it's a, it's an incredible award and uh, cool something trophy. that you'll be able to have uh, up in the mantle and I no, know that you're no, you, that. You going. you're not putting that up nah, I don't know oh you need to put that up I, I don't know that's something I don't special. know how I feel about it I mean the documentary was amazing but winning an award for it I mean I don't know it just seems I don't know kind of kind of funny I, I didn't I didn't ever get into this or grow up, you know, thinking I was trying to win Emmy awards, but I mean, I don't, I don't know what I'll do with it. It's, just, it's got a nice, it's got a cool little box, uh, not a little box, but it's got a cool box and uh, it'll go back in the box until I figure out if, and when I want to do something about it. But at the end of this episode, if you could remind me, I want to just share the disappointment of the Emmy. There's, there's a, there's a disappointing element to it. And yeah, I, I really want to share it with you. It, okay. it, 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 it actually, it, it well, actually I'm tell really you this bothers right now, me. While I remember, uh, I'm not going to remember. So that's on you. You <laughs> okay. need to write it on your hand. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to. I'm not going to remember. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually take it back out of the box now because I put it back in and closed it. 
Okay. And I'm just going to put it next to the computer here so that right as we go to sign off, I will be able to remind you of the disappointing story of Miami Award. And it did. It took everybody. So it's not like I won the documentary uh, an Emmy. Uh, I just hosted um, a very well-produced, directed, and executed um, uh, project. So, and you know why? You know why it was so well done? Because I I had the opportunity to play against um, all three of you guys, and Ty Domi, Rob Ray, and uh, yourself, Andrew. Um, when I watched it, okay, it is emotional. It is an yeah, it emotional is. piece that really touches home. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a sensitive guy. I really am. And uh, I could just feel, you know, all of the emotions that Ty Domi and Rob Ray were speaking of, you know, and, and how they started their, their journey um, into the NHL and the style of players they were and what they had to do to cement you know, like their legacy in this league. And I'm going to tell you, it was not the most enjoyable road for those guys. It was a lot of very, very tough nights. Um, there's a lot of respect uh, going to each, each of those two uh, men. But uh, you just said the word. You just said the word that I, I think made the project so amazing was the respect. I mean, I fought both of those guys. Yeah. You know, so it's like I didn't have the same rivalry or the same career as either one of them. But very rarely when you sit down and watch a, 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 an interview um, with, you know, whether it's one person, three people, two people, five people, whatever the case may be, very rarely does the host have the, the common bond of the people that are being interviewed. I mean, you go someone from, you know, you know, uh, real sports or whatever, if they're interviewing football players, they didn't play football or, you know, so very rarely do you have, you know, the host who shares the same common bond and the, uh, and a complete circle of respect between the two uh, uh, interviewee interviewees and the interviewer, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I think, I think the respect that, that was, was that went into that project within the conversation, I think is what made it spectacular. So you nailed it there. And it was very emotional. I mean, uh, watching Ty at the end of it, getting very emotional, but I, um, you know, again, I, I, I won't spend too much time on that, but I just, I want to tell you just the disappointing element of it, uh, at the end of, of this episode. So, um, let's just start with last night's Sabres game. Uh, first let's start with, let's start with my tweet, um, which got some hilarious reaction, but you know what? And I, I wasn't trying to be an asshole, but I, it kind of came on the heels of the Arizona state, uh, announcement with the Arizona coyotes and how they're going to be playing in a college rank 4,000 seats, you know, and the agreement that was made about title, like the, the arena naming rights and concessions and the way they're going to split the revenues and everything. And it's just so sad. It's just so sad to see an NHL team that hasn't worked ever to, to have to stoop to those levels. Like we'll admit that Atlanta didn't work and we'll move them back to Winnipeg 
because it was a mistake to move Winnipeg to Arizona. It and wasn't I was, at the time, though, Petey. It uh, and, wasn't and at I, the time. The, and I'm glad you said that because I wasn't in the, the league dollar. and I was too young to truly understand all of that. So why do you say that it wasn't at the, the Canadian time? dollar, you know, and the U.S. dollar, it, it was crippling uh, teams that were playing in, in, um, in Canada. You know, the, the strong survived. Okay, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, two of the biggest revenue teams in the National Hockey League, the Edmonton Oilers, Calgary, Vancouver, they survived it. Um, You know, Quebec Nordiques did not survive it. The Winnipeg Jets at that time did not survive it. They could not survive the 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 exchange rate and they were just they were not profitable. So they moved them to places in the United States thinking that, listen, Colorado is a great place to put a hockey team. Was it? Yes, it was. It turned out to be a fantastic uh, opportunity for the league. The league is flourishing in that market. It's doing very well. You look at, um, you know, the, the Atlanta Thrashers. I mean, they, they, there's a team that moved there, but they could not sustain it because it's not a hockey market. It was not a sustainable uh, team, and they were moved. How are we sitting here even talking about the Phoenix or Arizona Coyotes? They've been losing $50 million literally since they came in the league. It has been the biggest eyesore. It has been the biggest revenue problem in the National Hockey League. It is mind-blowing that we are sitting here today, years and years and years after this team came into the league, that has lost this, this, um, lost this league tons and tons and tons of money. And we are still sitting here and now you're going to announce that they're going to play in a division one hockey arena for the next couple years until there's arena approval. Why are they even going to try? Tell me, why are they even going to try to build them an arena? I don't understand. There's no way they can build an arena. I don't understand their hockey is not a huge sport in Phoenix. In Arizona, okay? In Arizona, hockey is not thriving. They have lost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. This team has lost the league. I have no idea right now how we are going to sit and watch a team play. And what what is the capacity of the... uh, I think it's like 4,000. I got to check. Thousand thirty five hundred to four thousand seats, I think. That's like an NHL team playing in a in the Harbor Center for you know a, a, a bigger arena than the Harbor Center. You know how small the Harbor. It's like playing is. in a junior rink. There are probably some junior ranks that draw more. Like London Knights probably draw more than uh, than Arizona Coyotes. Hey, what, are you nuts? London Knights have a fifteen thousand. Um, capacity arena. Really? They have. I knew it was over ten. I didn't realize it was that big. They have luxury boxes. Wow. That have been that are completely sold out for the London Knights games. Wow. Wow. 
Okay. All right. So anyway, that's where my tweet stemmed from. Was I, basically, I said, it's mind-blowing to me that we're going to start this after the whistle show and talk about Arizona going to play and well, sign an agreement for three-plus years that they're going to play in a Division One Arizona State hockey arena that holds 3,500 fans. Well, that's just – is that not a problem? That came out – that was official yesterday. And, and the only reason why we started the show talking about that was because it was the my tweet at the start of the Sabres game yesterday – what it stemmed from the announcement of the Arizona coyotes playing at, uh, you know, the Arizona sun devils, uh, ASU university arena. But basically what I said was because I just look and I just, I have seen this team go from, you know, when you were even on the team and they went to the playoffs, I remember the, that last game against Philadelphia where you guys went to overtime. And I remember seeing Tyler Myers hold on to the puck you know, just let the time run out in his own zone. He wasn't trying to rush it. It was a tie game. All you needed was a point and you were going to the playoffs. Didn't matter the outcome. All you needed was a point. I remember I was at the game and I remember Myers was just holding the puck, holding it. The crowd was going ape shit because they knew what the ramifications were. Everyone knew that the team needed a point. Do you recall any of this? Uh, I do not. And the reason why um, the last year I was traded at the deadline. So I was not, I was a part of the team the entire year, that year, um, okay. but was, w- was in Columbus at the time when they uh, okay. were in the playoffs that year. Okay. But I also, if we're talking playoffs, I also remember playing against the Boston Bruins. That was the number one team in the league at the time. And, you know, the Buffalo Sabres, we ended up playing them in the first round. And I do remember not a big deal. If you want to go look it up, I absolutely torched one top shelf. It was absolutely one of the best goals I scored in the national hockey league blew an absolute bomb right in the top corner or right in the top cheese. And we ended up winning that game. I think it was one, nothing. Um, and I just remember, I remember this. Was it at home? It was at home. Oh my Lord the electricity and those fans are bat shit crazy. Yeah, they they, Sabres fans are truly, they're on another level when like, if we can provide, I shouldn't say we can provide, but if Kevin Adams and this, and this, uh, you know, this staff can provide a team on the ice, holy jumping, they will come. You know what I yeah, mean they, by that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. If, yeah. If you build it, Free they will come and you're not talking about the stadium. Team. You, cause you got the stadium. You need to build the team. You need to build the team. You, you know, need to build the, the team. Goulas have gone out and, and the year that I was traded that year that you're talking about the last time they made the playoffs, um, when they played Philadelphia that next year, the Pagulas went and put an insane amount of money into, and they ripped the part all the underground where the, where the dressing room was, the facilities um, for the training facilities. There's like a small little track in there. I mean, they redid, they put millions and millions and millions of dollars into providing an incredible environment for the Sabres team. And you know what? I mean, now the Sabres and what they have are on par with the best teams in the National Hockey League. 
That's what's so hard about it. That's why I sent my tweet last night. Cause it was like a little, I don't know if it was a jab at the team or it was a jab at the attendance and whatever's causing the attendance. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons and we've gone over them in past episodes. And if you're, if you're listening today to this, go back and listen to past episodes. But basically what I said is Sabres should play the rest of their home games at Harbor center because I just turn on the TV and it's like, there's just pockets of fans everywhere. And you know, it's the old dress like a seat night, you know, joke that keeps going around. And it's just, it's, it's sad. It's actually sad. And when I say it's sad, like, I don't well, mean that, sad, like, like ask, I'm, I'm upset Adams about fault? it and it's hurting me. Is that Kevin I, Adams' fault? No, it's not Kevin Adams' fault. It, okay. it's, it's not Kevin Adams' fault. Um, just, the, just the disdain for the Sabres in general. Is it the Pagula's fault? Uh, a little bit, yes. Okay. So you say that they, they have part in this because, you know, maybe they were in, 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 in the room making decisions on these players that have come in and out. Maybe they were making the decisions. Maybe they shouldn't have been making those decisions. We don't know. We'll never know. All I know is under their watch, since they come here, the team has not made the playoffs. It's not that they have not put money into the team. Because they have put money in the team. They put trust in the wrong people. There you go. That's, and, and I, you know, and, and I, you know, I, the one thing I'll say, and I'll say it time and time again, and, you know, maybe the ship has been righted and it does look like they're going in the right direction in terms of the stockpile of talent, as you, uh, you know, Scott Wheeler had his athletic article about the Sabres and they are the number one team in terms of, their prospect ratings and rankings, but they, you know, I mean, the, I feel, I feel sorry for, for Terry Pagula in particular, because I just feel like he has trusted all the wrong people when it comes to the hockey side of things. Okay. Like even on football side, I think a lot of people talk their way into some longer, time and bought themselves some time by sweet talking. And I think, and I think, I think Mr. Pagula is just, is just, he's not gullible, but I think he's, I think he wants to give people a shot. And I think sometimes that's not the best way to do business in sports. It's really not. It's, it's not even gut instinct. It's hiring the the right person for the job. And every single person that has been hired has almost pulled the wool right over his eyes. I mean, well, let's, let's just stop looking at the, the past because the past is the past. And we can't do anything about it. It sucks. Sabres fans are super pissed off. They're angry, but I'm going to tell you me as a fan and I'm a fan now. Okay. I'm not a player anymore. I understand what goes on behind the scenes. I understand what happens in meetings. I understand what the coaches are saying in between periods. I understand all of it. I was there for a very long time, but what I, and, and the, my, the, my perception of what needs to happen here is we need to look at each era and, and, and who is leading it. Okay. Right now, the Buffalo Sabres hired Kevin Adams, who has never been anywhere near a GM in the national hockey league. My eyebrow raised on this. But after it raised, it came back down. And I'm going to tell you why. 
because I know Kevin Adams. I played against him. I know the type of person he is. I know his fire and desire. I know what he has seen. He's been on a team that has won a Stanley Cup. You don't think that Kevin Adams is a sponge? First of all, Kevin Adams was was a first-round draft pick into the National Hockey League. Okay? Secondly, he was on teams that had the likes of Ron Francis and and Mark Reckies and Doug Wade. Brendamore, Doug Wade. Brendan- I mean, it, it goes on and on. They had that Kevin veteran Adams, defenseman there from uh, Toronto they brought in. Carry on. Kevin Adams was not a young guy at the time when he won the Stanley Cup, okay? But he was still a sponge and listening to the leadership of these incredible, incredible Hall of Fame hockey players that he had the opportunity to go to battle with. And he ended up winning at championships. He knows what team is all about. He knows that you will not win anything if you do not have elite, elite skill. Okay. So when I look at Kevin Adams, I think he is absolutely the right man for the job. Because he's been through it. He's been through it. He understands it. He understands the players in the dressing room, but he's also a very smart man away from the rink. And when I say that, up, up in his office, okay? Having dialogue with other GMs around the National Hockey League, testing the waters, understanding what the market looks like. I believe in Kevin Adams. For the very first time in a very long time, I believe that the Sabres are going in the right direction. I do believe that. We lose a game last night. I'm super pissed off. Had a hard time sleeping because we should have won that game. We should have won the game. But we have, we're in situations that we've had a lot of injuries, okay? We have key members that will be in this lineup next year and the year after. And I believe that this team has the high-end skill. Did you watch You watch Alex Tuck last night play with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner? Jeff Skinner looks like a friggin' stud right now. He's working his ass off, and Tage Thompson is a six-foot-six, six-seven, flying around, ripping, ripping bombs. Alex Tuck is, 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 is a player that we have hoped for for so long to be here in Buffalo, and we got him. That line last night is a number one line in the league. It is incredibly good. But we've got a lot of other pieces that need to be placed in this lineup. And we're not where we need to be. Looking at Casey Middlestat, who's, who's been out all year long. You insert that skill set. You insert the brain. You insert guys like Jack Quinn in his last game, scored a goal and, and had an assist. You insert these guys into the lineup. You're going to see a difference, and this team is going to grow. I like what I see. Last night, last night should have been a W. And well, what happened? I hate to- Let's well, first of all, let me just say this: Tuck's goal was unbelievable. By the way. I mean that was that was an unbelievable goal. He has he has changed the look of this team. Just that one player. I really believe that since he's been in the lineup. Well, you know what? I don't know if he's changed the look of the team. What what what's happened is 
we have a six foot four, 225 pound guy that has elite skill in skating. And we haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, we've had Jack Eichel and he's incredible, but we replaced, not, we're not replacing Jack, but we're adding players like Alex Tuck, who is incredibly talented. But let me tell you something. I think Jack, I think Krebs, Alex Tuck Krebs Krebs is, is just really as noticeable. Alex Tuck is just as noticeable in a game like last night as Jack Eichel is on any other night. He was as noticeable. He may not be as dynamic with the puck sometimes and do certain things, but I'm going to tell you something, the way he plays away from the puck, you know, the way he plays when he gets the puck, how hard he plays down low. I mean, how hard he plays period shift in shift out the body language. I mean, he is, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I couldn't say that Alex Tuck is better than Jack Eichel. He's better for this team than Jack Eichel ever was. Yeah, because he's happy to be here. He's happy to work through um, some tougher times. Okay, he's not in Vegas where there's just so much skill, so much talent, and the depth of the team is is super deep. I, I think that Alex Tuck understands. I think he's had sit-down communication with Kevin Adams. Kevin Adams explaining him what his thoughts are and probably his vision. And he needs Alex Tuck to help guide all of these younger players. He needs to help, you know, guide the younger guys so they don't get discouraged. That they that even though they lose a game here and there, that they are seeing progress in the levels of what these guys are playing. I watched the game last night. I. Uh, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the Sabres easily could have won that game. And they, and they gave it up in, in small little areas, which in this league, if you are soft in areas, then you do not win hockey games. And I, I well, just you know, say it. Goaltending cost them last night. I, like I've oh, been so supportive of the goaltending. I have, I've, praise the opportunity and rooted for the chances that these guys get, whether it's Dell, Tukarski, Subban, Anderson. I think I'm missing another one because they've had six. Uka in. I might have even still forgotten somebody, which is absolutely fucking absurd that, that a team Hauser has to use. Whatever. Who? Hauser. 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 Thank you. I mean. That's six. Listen, I mean. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a 3-1 game, Okay. We're in a 3-1 game going into the third period. There's all the momentum in the world. 15 minutes left in the game. And you have uh, Brendan Gaunch. Gaunch. I know, you, I know you're going to butcher that one, so I thought I'd Go get in down, literally at the worst angle shot, just throws a puck on net and it goes in. Now the game's 3-2 with 15 minutes left. And I'm thinking to myself, how in God's name is that puck going in? I want everybody to go look at the goal that was scored. You want to know why the Sabres lost? That's the goal. That We're is not the goal. asking. I'm not asking Tukarski to make, uh, you know, Dominic Hasek saves because he doesn't have the ability to make Dominic Hasek saves. But just let's just say that he did. I'm not asking you to save those. I'm asking you to save the routine shot on net. This the textbook saves. That's a textbook save. This is an absolute joke. 
This is an absolute joke. You want to know why the Sabres lost that game? That's the goal right there. Well, there were a couple more that they had to score in order to get them, but that's the goal that started it all. And I remember, I remember when that goal went in last night and I watched that, I'm just thinking to myself, that could be a backbreaker for this team because now Columbus is going to have a little bit of life. They're going to smell some blood and then they tie it up. It's 15 and then- minutes left and it's a one goal game. The, 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 it's like popping a balloon. It's like literally inflating a balloon, tying the knot. You're, you're in total control. And then all of a sudden Tukarski with his little pin popped it. And now all of a sudden the benches on both sides, one deflates and one inflates. Now they keep the pressure on, they score the game tying goal. And then there's another shit ball goal in, in overtime. Break it's, that one down for me because you know, a lot of people out there, you know, blaming Tukarski for that. Yeah, he's got to have that one. But how did Darlene play that? Did you? Uh, listen, did you? I mean, one hundred percent. You need your goaltender to make the save there. They got, you know, Jake Voracek. <laughs> when you look at Jake Voracek, Jake Voracek has one goal this year. I want you to think about that. He's played. He makes eight point. $5 million a year. Okay. He's been a great player in this league for a long time in 43 games, 43 games. He had one goal coming into this game. He's out for a three on three, 16 seconds in, he releases a shot on net from the top of the circle. How that puck goes in on an NHL goaltender is absolutely mind boggling. But I'm not surprised when we're letting in goals that are shot from basically the corner of the ice. The corner that's going in on Tukarski. You want to know why we don't win games? You don't have to look any further. The guys in the dressing room should be frustrated, but not frustrated with their play. There was a lot of good play last night. Especially from that Tage Thompson line. Unbelievable. Every time they were on the ice, they were absolutely dominating. I haven't seen a line like that in a very, very long time. But that there puts a smile on my face. But going back to the last goal, I watched it. I went over it. And it's very apparent to me. It's interesting to me how Rasmus Dahlin, and I'm going to tell you this, I thought he was really, really good last night. He has played some fantastic hockey. Okay. And we've been very hard on him. No, no, no. You guys have been hard on him. Oh, okay. I gave him a B plus and you guys thought <laughs> I was absolutely insane giving him a B plus. Oh, now I you're going to stand by your B plus because he had a really good game last night. Well, guess what? I mean, no, he had a, he had a, we're talking about the first part of the season. P I gave him a B plus. I think you guys gave him what? Like a D and a C or something. I don't know. I'll go back and check my notes. Maybe a C But I gave him, I gave him a B plus because of the pressure that's on him, the amount of minutes he's playing. Yes, he's going to make mistakes, but every every player is going to make mistakes. And then you get backed up, uh, backed up maybe by a goaltender, maybe by a player on your team. Right now, no one's backing up Rasmus Dahlin when he does make a mistake. That being said, in this particular situation last night, I am very surprised with. Him being a first overall draft pick in the National Hockey League and being an exceptionally good player when he was younger, 
and all the way through the ranks in Sweden and then into the National Hockey League. But I look at the video last night and you can put a tremendous amount of blame on him. If you watch the way he plays the Jake Voracek one-on-one, when Jake Voracek winds up at the top of the circle and goes to shoot a puck on net, Rasmus Dahlin, where should his stick be? And if I were to ask every one of my defensemen that I have coached over the last 10 years in youth hockey, every single solitary one would give me the answer. Well, I'm not a defenseman. And you asked me before we started this episode, and even I knew where his stick should be. And where should his stick be when Jake Voracek is coming down the boards? He looks like he's going to take a stick shot on net. puck. It's called stick on puck. It's something that you learn at a very young age. It's something that I learned back in North Bay, Ontario from a coach named Butch Turcott. Um, it, these are things that you learn as, as a defenseman stick on puck. That means your stick is in the direction of the shot. What that does is it deters the player with the puck of even wanting to shoot the puck because your stick is in the lane. Okay. So Jake Voracek, if, if Rasmus Dahlin played this where he had his stick out in front of him and he was stick on puck, Jake Voracek would have never even shot that puck. He wouldn't have been able to shoot the puck. But he did shoot the puck because Rasmus Dahlin's stick was beside him like he's going to block a shot. Here's the thing. This is the NHL. Players change the direction and the angles of the way they shoot the puck depending on how a defenseman is playing the shot. Jake Voracek knew that Rasmus Dahlin was in a certain position, knew that he, his stick was beside him trying to block a shot. So he went and dr- he, he dragged the puck a couple inches and then released it. Here's the thing. That shot should have never been taken because that stick of Rasmus Dahlin should have been out front of him and it should have been right on stick on puck, which det- would have deterred the shot on net. That's it. That's your summary. And that's how they lost. And listen, I mean, you can go back, you can go to NHL.com and you can go back on and you can look at the last goal and you can slow it down right from when Jake Voracek gets the puck at the red line and he skates over the offensive blue line and in the next 10 to 15 feet to the top of the circle, you will know exactly what I'm talking about the way Rasmus Dahlin and where his stick was. It needs to be out front. It needs to be in a shooting lane and it needs to deter the player that has the puck to even shoot the puck on net. All right. Great analysis by you on that play. You know, I was disappointed for the team last night. I thought they played really well. thought they played really well. Uh, so did I, and I'm, they and I'm they disappointed for the attendance, but you know those are for other oh, reasons. Wait, listen, when you're losing games all this all the time, Petey, they shouldn't have lost that game last night. They shouldn't have lost it, but they're losing because of certain situations, you know, injuries and stuff like that. And you know, I'm going to tell you this team and what I see. Like I'm going to go back, Peyton Krebs to me. I love this kid. I love this player. He's not a real big guy, but let me tell you, he is flying 
all over the ice, all over the ice. Very, I've been very impressed, impressed with uh, Peyton Krebs. He is going to be a keeper. He is going to be a very good player for this team. You mark my words. I was right on Tage Thompson, pat myself on the back. Go ahead. There we go. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are going to be very, very pleased with uh, Peyton Krebs because it's the, it's the intangibles that go along with this kid. He has insane world-class skill. That's why he was a first-round draft pick. He was one of the top. He was drafted number one over the, into the Western Hockey League when he was a kid at 16. Now, he is a stud. He is going to be a stud in this league. It's just a matter of time before he catches fire. I love his work ethic. All right. Huge pickup. Uh, so speaking of huge pickup, Montreal Canadiens fired their coach, Dominic Ducharme, and um, they hired Marty St. Louis. And this is a very uh, interesting hire, in my opinion. I don't know. We haven't really talked much about it, you and I. But I just look at this and I think um, unconventional could work, could also blow up in their face. Um, I know that Jeff Gordon has a relationship with him because he brought him to the Rangers, traded for him from Tampa Bay uh, for that playoff run a few years ago. I know that, uh, is it Kent Hughes has a, is it Kent Hughes? Is that the general manager? He has a relationship with him. Um, and uh, so here we are with Marty St. Louis and they lost last night. Not a very good outing, but just curious to know your thoughts on the hire. I mean, I think there's one positive I see in it, but I'll save it because I, you know, I, I, I don't want to go and spoil the whole conversation, but I want to know your thoughts. Well, I mean, uh, probably a very restless uh, fan base in Montreal They're, They don't take kindly to, to losing. Um, but uh, when you look at the whole thing, they are cleaning slate. They are starting over. They are going to build something. Okay. It's going to take time in Montreal. Um, when you look at the, the new additions, you have uh, a new president and hockey ops um, in Jeff Gordon who in turn goes and hires a new GM um, in Kent Hughes. And from there, you an have agent, an agent, by the way, was, not it was a, an agent, not, very, a, not a, a very unconventional approach again. Yes. And no, it, it's about being in the business, like inserted in the business. And I would imagine all of these, these agents around the league um, could easily run an, uh, an NHL, Hockey team I'm, I'm not knocking that he's an agent. Right? I, I'm, I'm certainly not. I mean, there were talks of my former agent, Steve Bartlett being GM of, of the Sabres. At one point, people had talked about it. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't say it was a bad move. I said, it's yeah. an unconventional move. Cause when was the last time we saw an agent go from agent to GM other than Pat Brisson when he got Eichel traded to Vegas? Yes. Yes. So they, they um, have an un- unconventional you know, situation in hiring, you know, Marty St. Louis, Marty St. Louis. We know him, um, played against him a long time, just an incredible, incredible hockey, hockey player, you know, won a Stanley cup in, in, uh, in, in Tampa Bay has had a really incredible career, but where is he coached? Last I know he was coaching, 13U hockey in Connecticut. 
has never run a practice at, at the junior levels or the pro level. They go and hire a, a coach that has never coached at any level of junior or professional hockey. And to add to that, you know, their, their coaches, their, their assistant coaches, Alex Burroughs, we all know Alex Burroughs from Vancouver Canucks had a fantastic uh, um, career playing on the left wing of the Sedin uh, twins. Um, he's only, he's only coached for a year and a half in the NHL as an assistant. Then there's a, another assistant, which is, his name's Trevor Latowski. Trevor Latowski was a former, um, Detroit Red Wings, uh, guy, really not really good hockey player. This is his first year. He's literally coached for half of a season in the NHL. And then there's Luke Richardson, long time, um, you know, a, assistant associate coaches. He's, he's the brains I I think of, of being able to run that, but you have an, an, an insanely green coaching staff, a head coach that has been hired that has never run a practice or never been in, in a situation to address a pro team. Do I like the move? Absolutely. Absolutely. Had a long conversation with my son, Nate, uh, who's, um, you know, 17, uh, turning 18. And he is a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. And we had that. He was asking me the same, just grilling me. Like, what do you think about this guy's not, not coached before? I think he's going to be, I'm like, Nate, this guy has played a long time in the national hockey league. He understands the game as well as any coach that is coached. He is going to take a little bit of time to get acclimated to his surroundings of being in that position. But Marty St. Louis for the Montreal Canadians, I think is a very, very good move. The only issue I have with it, I'm very surprised that they did it this year. I'm surprised that they did not finish off with Descharm and then at the end of the year, remove him and hire Marty St. Louis. Well, that's, that's what this a, is, right? This a is a trial slate. run. He's only interim coach. That's something that needs to be reiterated here is that it's, so it's, it's, it's a trial Marty run. St. Louis is not taking the position as the head coach interim coach of the Montreal Canadians. He is not taking that position. If he, if he doesn't know that he's got, you know, well, sure he is. I mean, especially forward. if it's a stopgap and he can go in and just kind of analyze from his his uh, point of view what maybe the problem might be with the team. I mean, who knows why he's being inserted in there? I mean, I could see that. You just bring him in and have him have him kind of have him coach and you know see if he be, can become a good coach, but also you know create a rapport with the players and. I know, See, but he's he's going to create a rapport with the players. But you have Jonathan Drouin, who's one of your top players, is out. You have Christian Javorak, who um, was brought in the trade with. Um, help me out here. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember all uh, the Kakaniemi. I think was okay. Kakaniemi, okay. and then you have David Savard. They brought him in, veteran uh, defenseman. 
He's been out injured. You have Joel Edmondson, a very key part of their defensive game. He's out. You have Matthew Perot's been out all year. Shea Weber's been out all year. You have um, Carey Price has been out all season. Okay. Here's the thing. Tyler Toffoli, who was a scoring machine last year, has missed 11 games. Josh Anderson was a huge, another huge expensive acquisition last year. Seven-year deal, $5.5 million. He's missed 11 games this year. Mike Hoffman, they brought him in as an unrestricted free agent this year, paying him $4 million. He's missed 15 games. Jake Evans, who's one of their defensive, uh, you know, bottom six forwards, has missed eight games. Here's, here's another one for you. You know that guy, Brendan Gallagher, who's the heart and soul of the team? He's missed 19 games. Do you get what I'm saying here? Yeah, I think Kokaniemi was uh, was an offer sheet, by the way. Yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, so I, I can't remember how but, they got divorced. But I think they got a they got the draft picks from that, and then spun them and flipped them to. Uh, Maybe you're right. Okay, sorry to interrupt Arizona. you. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Listen, I mean, you know who count. Regine Tremblay is? Who? Regine Tremblay, he's a, a reporter out of Montreal. Probably, I'd have to see his face. Um, Greg Wyshynski tweeted um, Regine Tremblay, but he obviously used Google Translate and uh, basically said, Re- reading Regine Tremblay on the Marty St. Louis hiring and this journey of hockey nepotism. Okay, being hired in Montreal here. So let, let me let me read this to you here. Make no mistake, I'm happy for Marty St. Louis, a guy from Laval, a winner and a beautiful person. And in fact, he is not an absolute novice in coaching, unlike Mario Tremblay. But prefer it to Guy Boucher, to, to a Patrick Waugh, I need an explanation. Perhaps it is enough to check who has, sorry, perhaps it is enough to check who has formed Marty St. Louis entourage for a few years. Jeff Gordon, who was there to lure him with the New York Rangers ends up in Montreal. Ryan St. Louis, Martin's son who plays at Northeastern with Kent Hughes's son or Marty St. Louis who coached at mid Fairfield where Jeff, the son of Jeff Gordon played. Mid Fairfield Youth Associ- Hockey Association is located in Connecticut, North uh, Northeastern in, in Boston, next door. The management of the Canadians will. Uh, this is not very well translated. The management of the Canadians will like the baked beans. In journalism, it's called a network of contacts. In hockey, it is said to be a country club. So I mean, it's I don't know. It's just that's just. I don't know what you take from that, but I mean, this, the, the, I, I, I take from it. I t- what I take from it is I am very, very interested to see how it moves forward. I believe that the Montreal Canadians are going to be sellers at the deadline. Okay. They are currently right now last place and have a stronghold on the first overall pick in this year's coming draft percentage wise. That means Shane Wright could be dropping on your lap for a year in this coming draft. I think there's going to be movement. 
I think a guy like Jeff Petrie, who is who has been a great player for the for the Montreal Canadiens for many years, is struggling immensely this year. He is going to be traded. Ben Sherratt is going to be traded at the deadline. He's an unrestricted free agent. They're going to start to move out a large amount of players that have lots of money on their salary cap. I could see Montreal looking to kind of really this year gut their contracts that they do not, that they do not like and, and start over. I don't think they're going to gut it. I don't think they're going to like literally start all over again, but I think that there's going to be some major changes in Montreal at the deadline, at the trade deadline this year, and into the summertime. Okay. Sorry, I'm just trying to read here on our next conversation about the Edmonton Oilers firing their coach. Like, people are calling Connor McDavid a coach killer. I think he's had four coaches in five years. One of the articles I read, and that's what I was trying to dig up, was um, somewhere Connor somebody... Connor McDavid's a coach killer. Let's think about that for a second. Well, here he is for a second. the league for every bloody year that he's played and he's a coach killer. Well, they were talking about how, you know, Dave Tippett has been known for being like a real defensively minded, like coach and, and is a master at getting his teams to buy into to defensive hockey, a defensive brand of hockey. Uh, say what you want about that. And that Connor McDavid is not, I'm not going to say not that keen on playing defense, but he's not really known for being a defensive juggernaut. I mean, you got one of the best players in the world going one way with the puck, but you know, somebody was criticizing saying that he doesn't exert the same amount of efforts to defend. Welcome to every star player. Same could be said for a lot. That was, I shouldn't say same can be said for, but that's the same conversations that were had around here about Jack Eichel. Uh, Alex Ovechkin was heavily criticized for this for years. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I just, you know, I wonder if there's any, any correlation to that for you. Well, if I mean, I can totally understand as, as a coach that you want to implement a, a structured system, whatever that is, could be offensive, could be defensive, you know, whatever that is, every team is going to be a little bit different. Okay. Because of the players that you have on the team. That being said, when you have a player like Connor McDavid, you have to give him a longer leash than what you would the majority of players on the team. It's not that you're saying you can do whatever you want, Connor. It's, it's no, you have, you are literally the most skilled player in the world. You are going to produce more points than anyone in the world. You need to go out and do what you do best. And that's offensively play the game. You're going to be playing most of the time in the offensive zone because that's how good he is. So you have to be able to kind of understand your players. You know, I, I'm, I'm still a little bit surprised with, you know, we, we keep hearing, you know, Connor McDavid's going to want out and how much longer before he gets fed up, you know? I mean, it's a good question. I don't know how to say it. I just know that they have two of the best players in the world. It's not like uh, in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, um, 
you know, they, they picked up a really good player in Zach Hyman this year, paid him a lot of money at five, five, but he's still a great player. And Ryan Nugent Hopkins is, is a really nice player where, where this team's kind of not faltered. Cause I don't want to say they faltered, but guys like Yamamoto, who is a, who is a high draft pick, a guy like Jesse Poliarvi, who was drafted, I think he was fourth overall. That's right. These guys have not panned out. They have not panned out to their draft, their draft ranking or, or where they were drafted. In order for elite teams to continue to get better, you can't just win with two players. The game of hockey is not a sport that you can just rely on two or three players to win you games. You need a team. You need four lines. You need six defense. You need two goaltenders. You need chemistry in order to be a great hockey team. Right now in Edmonton, there's an extreme amount of pressure on Connor McDavid. There's an extreme amount of pressure on Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, what more, what more can I say? Well, I mean, you can say, I mean, to... Jay Woodcroft is coming in and like, I don't know, he won a Calder Cup championship with uh, Bakersfield, you know, a couple years ago. But I mean, I sit there and I look at that and I think, is he just going to be a yes man for Connor McDavid? Like, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's say not, that. A, I'm so not saying you... he's not a good coach. I'm not, I don't know anything about this guy. Okay. So would you I, want, just for an example, do you think that the right fit for Con- what I'm trying to get at is Connor McDavid has a new coach, okay? Are you saying that you would rather have a John Tortorella or a... Um, well, it's funny you bring up Tortorella because didn't he have the comments that everybody was shitting on him about, about saying that you can't score goals like that in the NHL playoffs and Connor McDavid is going to have to change his game? I mean, let's be honest. Is, is there something to that? There has to be something to that. Sidney Crosby I don't know. Like, is, is not a one-dimensional, one-way player. He is yep. not. He is defensively responsible. He plays. Kenny Malkin, the... same thing. Yes, absolutely. No question about it. So, I mean, there is something to be said because these guys can be full-blown run-and-gun players, and they're not. Maybe they – I don't even know that they started out that way because Crosby came in the league in 05, 06, I think, with Malkin at the same time, and – Next thing you know, 0809, they're in the finals. Actually, 0708, they're in the finals. 0809, they win. That's three years, four years. They're in the yeah, league. But they, that team was built properly because they surrounded all of those young. Now, why was it players. built properly? You think it's easier to go and get players to come in if you're Mario Lemieux or if you're in Edmonton? Like it's not about that. No one wanted to go to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh sucked, man. I mean, you're you're picking you're picking uh, Mark Andre Fleury was the first first overall pick, and you're picking uh, you know Brooks Orpic was I think twelfth overall. Then you had Sidney Crosby first overall. Then you had the next year was Evgeny Malkin was second overall, and then the next year you you picked um, Jordan, Jordan Stahl, Stahl third overall. overall or second overall. That team was horrendously people forget how bad Pittsburgh was back years and years ago that all they remember is they've won three Stanley cups since then. Okay. But they don't go back to when they were horrendous. No one goes back to when Chicago I'm standing on the blue line. I'm looking at Sheldon Surrey and I'm like, Holy shit. There's 2,500 people here. 
There is literally 20. There was more ushers than people watching the game. <laughs> yeah. No one I, remembers how bad Chicago was, but they picked Patrick Kane first overall, and they picked Duncan Keith, and they picked Brett Seabrook, and they picked um, Jonathan John Taves. Taves. No one remembers how bad Chicago was for years. And By the way, was it wasn't like, in that order, but you got all those players, right? I, yes. But that was and Duncan Keith was a second rounder too, by the way. So they kind of okay. they 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 landed that one. That was a they good, landed was, it, and then they made good some good pick. trades. They you know they bring in a guy like uh, Patrick Sharp, who's a thirty goal scorer. They bring in Marion Hosa, who was an absolute stud. Okay, Hall of Famer. Like they they made key moves to to bring in key players to surround those young studs with. Immediately they did that. Like it's just yeah. amazing how things go when you when you look at you know what needs to happen. That's that's what I talk about when I, I circle this all the way back to the Sabers. I talk about this like it's going to be hard here to bring in those support unit guys because you need a lot of them to support the young talent that is in this lineup. But it's going we to don't be hard. need a lot of guys though, PD. I'm telling you, when you look at what we have right now with an Alex Tuck, with a Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner, when you have a Casey Middlestat, Dylan Cousins, Peyton Krebs, there's six guys and you're, you still have to implement a, a um, Jack Quinn, you have to implement maybe, and and I'm really hoping that JJ Paterka continues to improve. As he's only 19, he's 19. All these guys can't be here. You have to move some of these young players at some point to bring in a couple of players. There's no way. There's no way these types of players are going to be enough. You still need three defensemen. You still need two goaltenders. We don't and- need three defensemen because we're going to have Jack. We're going to have um, Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power. And I love watching Samuelson. And, you know, you, you can say that I, I, I don't mind Henry Yoki Haru. I think he's a nice puck-moving skating defenseman. He's smart. We, we need to find two specific style players that are going to be on that back end. Two of them. I will say this. So did you watch Power at all play the other day against, was it Germany, Canada played? No, it was Germany. He was incredible, man. He is incredible. He turned the puck over at the blue line with a backhand pass and just darts up the ice to stop the guy. Like he's so fast. He's so big. He's so like, he moves the puck so well. He is going to be so fun to watch in the NHL. Have you been watching any of the Olympic hockey, by the way? No, really? Okay. A lot of, you know, who's playing for team Russia? There's a lot of there's a lot of NHLers playing. I mean, Canada's ha- Canada has a lot of NHLers playing. I mean, the, everyone knows who Eric Stahl is, but yeah. I mean, you have that Odell, you have Wheel, you have like there's Demers, there's a, who Demers, Demers, yeah. There were there were a lot of guys that had cups of coffee in the NHL and are now playing overseas. And I've looked all these guys up. They're all good players, even the ones that yes. didn't play in the NHL. Um. On on uh, on Team Russia, uh, Mikhail Gregorenko scored a beautiful goal the other day. They were playing. Uh, who were they playing? Maybe the Swiss. I can't remember. I, I I watched a bunch of games. I can't remember who the U.S. was playing either. But anyway, so I watched some of these. I watched some of these games, and um, it's good hockey. 
It's actually, yeah. it's, it's actually really good hockey and it's, um, I'm not going to say that it's better than if the, if it were best on best, but I feel like, like, I don't, I don't know. What time I, of these games being played? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm the, the, the schedule is so messed up. I honestly couldn't tell you if I was watching them live or not, but I, I was, I watched them yesterday. I was watching them yesterday morning and, uh, which would have been Thursday, Thursday morning. I was watching these games, some of them. And, um, okay. yeah, they're, they're well, because the time difference is so it's so off. Right. But, um, I'm telling you, it's great hockey. It's phenomenal hockey. So no, who was playing China? I, I think, I think the U S was playing China. I think that ended up being like eight, nothing or whatever. Um, but you know, it's, it's phenomenal. Jochen hashed is on the German team. No, he's not. He's oh not. I, I just wanted to see your reaction. You, know, you um, got you got my reaction. I know. Just you know what it. though? I would not. I would not be. I swear to God, I would not be surprised. He was an absolute unit. That man, his body was a unit. He was he was a very in shape guy. There's no question, no question. I liked Jokin a lot. You know, we went out one night and partied in Montreal. I eh? he doesn't. That's something you'd never know about Jokin. Okay, that well, you never. The thing. I mean, did you have a game the next night? We had a game the next well, day. That's, that's ridiculous. No, you but guys listen, have to be better than that. No, no, no. You're yeah. Okay, okay. Pot calling the kettle black. But listen, no. This is this was the scenario. And then we'll end on Marshawn six game suspension. We'll get out of here and I'll share my, uh, my Emmy story. You know, the disappointment in the Emmy next episode, it'll keep everybody maybe coming back for it or maybe, but so, but it's real disappointment and you'd be shocked as to why I'm so disappointed, not shocked, but I think you'd be shocked at, at what occurred. Um, but so anyway, so we were in Montreal and I remember uh, Jochen was traveling with us because he was hurt. He was coming back from an injury and he came up to me, uh, in the lobby and he's like, you know how, and you know how he had like, he had, he's like, Hey Petey, are you, are you playing tomorrow? I'm like, probably not. Why? <laughs> and he's, he's like, uh, I don't know. I was thinking maybe, uh, go out for uh, dinner and a few, a few beers or something after, you know, you know how he had like a little lisp. And, uh, I was like, really Jokin, you want to go out? Like, this is very rare because this guy's like the most responsible human being on the planet. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so I went up to Jeep, <laughs> I went up to Jeep. I was so honest with Jeep. I looked at Jeep and I said, Jeep, give me the odds that I'm playing tomorrow. He said 50, 50. I said, okay. I said, okay, now, now give me the real odds. I said, is it closer to 50-50 or is it closer to zero? <laughs> he goes, it's pretty much zero. But as a responsible coach, I'm going to tell you 50-50. I was like, okay, I get the hint. See you tomorrow morning. <laughs> See you tomorrow morning for our bag skate morning. And I think it was an optional practice already decided, right? So Jokin and I, we go to Globe for dinner. Then we hit up this bar called Rouge. And I'm going to tell you, Jokin and I, we got absolutely smashed together. All right. 
absolutely smashed. And then there were more, uh, there were some more late night uh, after hours situation that we got into. I got into, but I can't talk about that on the air, but anyway, um, but Jochen Hash, man, I, I, of all the people I can say that I went out with in the NHL, he's probably the one guy that if you asked any player that ever played with him and you said that he and I went out the night before a game, now granted he was not playing, um, and I was still questionable to play, but we went and we went hard and we had an unreal time. That's all I'm going to tell Why you. Why was I not invited to that? He may not have been here that year. Okay. You may not have, it might've been before you, uh, you got here. I can't remember the year that it was. I have to go back and look at his seasons and see which years that he missed games, um, due to injury. And I think it was a knee injury if I'm not mistaken. I can't exactly remember, but anyway, he was an awesome guy. He was quiet, 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 but I loved Jokin. Great hockey loved, player too. Loved great Jokin. hockey player. Yeah. He's a great hockey player. And you know what? And, and this just goes to show you, like I, I, I when, when I, you know, I just, you never knew what he was. Was he, was he trying to become an offensive guy? Cause he scored 20 back when guys weren't scoring a lot of goals. He scored 20, but he was solid defensively. He was always on the ice, you know, late in games. And he was, uh, he was killing penalties and Lindy loved him. Lindy absolutely loved him. But anyway, Brad Marsh, I just wanted, I just wanted to say that in 2008, 2009, Jochen Heck missed 12 games that year. What about the year before? He played 75. Okay, so what about the year before that? He played 76. So maybe it was. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe it was a year you're with the team. Oh, absolutely. I would maybe. definitely lead in the charge there for sure. No, I don't think you came. You didn't come with us. You wanted to make sure you had a big game back in the old form to Montreal. Eh? That, bull, that was bull pucky. Sometimes you just need to play guilty. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's one season. That's one city that you're going to play guilty in. God, I love going to Montreal. Someone asked me the other day, they're like, what was your favorite road city in the NHL? And I said, Montreal, Montreal for so many reasons. Top five, top five best cities to go to. Well, Montreal is number one. Number two for me was New York. I'm not, I don't necessarily love the big, big cities, but New I did York, not like New York. I did because you could get lost there. Like you knew you weren't going to bump into coaches or anything. Like you knew that you could go out shop. God, I did go to spicy. an Italian restaurant in little Italy or something. Oh my Lord. Yeah. Like so pasta they made just, everything was just, I wonder if it was rails. It was if- a tiny little place. Like, I mean, small, but it was something amazing. I think I've been to that place, but not. It's on the corner. Is it, Did on it the have corner? green? I don't. I I, I don't know. Uh, but I know that it had. Uh, it was right on the corner, a small little place right on the corner in Little Italy. Was it a cor- Was it was the the, no, the restaurant was, on the corner? It was not on the corner. Okay, it was not wrong place, different place then. Um, so New York would be number two. I don't know. I liked going to Boston. I always like going to Washington because, you know, if we had time off there, you could go and check out some of the, you know, like uh, the history. It's a and- where we stayed, though, in Washington. I like that hotel, the Mayflower. Yeah, and you, it was walking distance to the rink. Actually, when I, when I played for Jersey, no, it wasn't walking. Uh, no, it wasn't walking distance to the rink. When, when I played in Jersey, we stayed at a Ritz-Carlton there. It was connected to a mall. I, but I don't, that was my last year. So I don't know if that's where guys stayed. And then I'm trying to think of another, another, another place. I mean, 
I don't know about Montreal, man. Montreal. I, I mean, I, I, I won. I remember I went to the casino there with Roisy and we walked out of there with like, we won like six or 7,000 bucks each Canadian, of course. But I mean, we won like six or 7,000 bucks. Roisy and I had a lot of luck at the casino that year. Um, what, uh, why, why do you ask me that? Why? I was well, so I, so Mon- you've got Montreal number one. So number Montreal is New York. Here, so here's another story about Montreal. So uh, Danny B uh, and JP Dumont were both hurt <laughs> and they wanted to make the Montreal trip. Right. <laughs> of course. So they come on the road with us and I don't know if they were even close to being back playing. We'll have to ask Danny this when he comes on with us, but by the way, he was just hired as assistant GM in Philadelphia. Yeah. Not sure if you saw that. And he's agreed to come on and uh, on the podcast. Well, that was uh, before he was announced assistant GM. So oh, I messaged him and on. I messaged him and I said, I hope this doesn't change anything, uh, you know, but he's, you know, yeah. So supposedly very soon, Danny said he would come on and join us, but so we'll have to ask him about this. Cause this is the best story ever. We all go out. Like they come up to me and they're like, Hey, you, you playing tomorrow. <laughs> so he's like, always come up and I'm like, I don't, I don't know why. Probably not. Why? And they're like, well, me and JP, we're going to go out and you know, we could, we could use a bodyguard. <laughs> right? I'm like, fuck it. I don't care if I'm playing, let's go. If I'm rolling with you two guys. Now this is oh five Oh six because uh, Danny was out with the abdominal and that's why he came. They came because I think they both had a d- abdominal tears and they both saw that Dr. Mulder in Montreal. I think that's who ended up. Is it Dr. Mulder in Montreal, Riv? Yes. Yeah. So I think they saw Dr. Mulder in Montreal, and that's why they came. And uh, we went out. I can't remember where we went, but we bounced around, and we ended up hitting up a late-night poutine place. Okay? There's, like, this poutine place on, I think it's on, is it St. Catherine Street? Is it right near uh, the old forum? Yeah, and I feel like you go downstairs. Yes. Like oh you my go, God, the greasy and, spoon! Yeah, and they and they, they you go downstairs, That's, and a body fat was over ten. Oh, every year you could get anything you wanted on this poutine. Like well, I'd never you seen it. You could like after a game, big win, big win, and Saturday night you go and absolutely murder a thousand beers at uh, Buenanote and all those all those places on the strip. And then I'm going to tell you, at five o'clock in the morning, we would take the cab to the greasy spoon. Get some eggs and bacon and toast, a little, uh, you know, throw a little uh, gravy on the poutine with a bunch of ketchup. Boom, shakalaka, you sleep like a baby. Yeah, so we, so we went there and they grabbed, they grabbed, and Pominville, I think, was my roommate on this road trip. And we all went back with poutine and Danny bought, they bought Palmer a poutine because he's French, right? So obviously this place is legendary. They came in and we're all eating poutine at like five in the morning. Even Palmer got up and ate the poutine with the boys, but it was, it was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable night. And, uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't let out any secrets, but I will say that, uh, that was, that was one of the better nights. That was one of the better nights that, uh, that I had was with so those two is, guys. This is where you're at Montreal. right now. Best cities in the national hockey league. You said Montreal. New York, Washington. No, I, no I, can I take Washington back? If you'd like, yeah. Because I'd like to throw Nashville in there. Okay, Nashville. But we never went there enough. So, and, and you know what? Toronto. And I love Toronto. One, your I other love, one was uh, Boston. I love Toronto as a city. So there's, your, there's your five. 
man, I used to go to Toronto all the time in the weekends when I was, uh, back when I was playing, I, I, I mean, uh, in the summertime, I mean, I probably spent five or six weekends of the summer in Toronto or at least a night in Toronto on my way up to my parents' cottage. I'd always stop in Toronto, spend the night Friday night with my brother. We'd hit up, we knew the places we were going to. And then, uh, and then we'd head up to, uh, to my parents' place. But I mean, it, yeah, I just, there are a lot of great cities, man. I mean, there are a lot. Why? What are yours? So my number one is Florida. <laughs> my number one is Florida without question. And well, I'm gonna, I'll go, I'll, I'll even go further. My top two are Florida and Tampa. I loved going to Florida and Tampa. I love the restaurants that we went to. We hit some nightlife. It was just, you know, it was always warm. Even at night, you can wear a nice, you know, um, pair of khaki pants, nice shoes with a, with a, you know, a, a short sleeve, you know, button down shirt going to dinner. It was fantastic. I loved Florida and Tampa. They were my two number ones by far that I loved, that I love going to. Then you hit one right on the head. If you're looking for entertainment, if you're looking for live, you know, music, just great, great group of people, Nashville is without question the number one in the National Hockey League. Though that that strip, what what's the strip that that's right there by the hotel? I'm not right good there. with street names. I just know I just know you're talking Tootsies. Tootsies was the country I mean, western bar yeah, with the live they're all music. Cunt. What are you talking about? They're all well, country I guess, yeah, I western. Guess that's true. I guess that's true. Every single place <laughs> I guess is you are listening to live music from a from a country, you know, up and com- coming country artists that these people are phenomenal. You're just sitting there having a couple cocktails and you're just sitting back and it's just in a great, great atmosphere. I always loved Nashville. Number four, Vancouver. Boom. Yeah. Shakalaka. Yeah, that's a good one. Vancouver's unbelievable. That's a really good Going, do you remember the sushi place? I'm not sure if I went with I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone for sushi to the sushi okay. place. With so you we guys. went to this sushi place that was like a legendary sushi place. And the, the, the sushi was incredible. If you love sushi, people, oh my it's it's something i've never tasted anything like but there was you would like you didn't have tables okay you basically had you you would belly up to the to i don't even know how to call it to the bar but there was a there was a huge river going through the whole place and there was the water, there was a current taking the sushi around on platters. So you would, you would pick off with your, with your, um, whatever you wanted because the sushi would be floating around this river around the entire place. And you basically just ate whatever you wanted. It was in, how how do they know what you ordered? Like all sushi is different priced. Yeah, like you would or like you you went there and usually that you would just order unless you wanted 
one specific thing. Like I just want a California roll and that's all I want. They'll bring in that plate, but you would, you went there and you would basically for, for a certain price, which was a lot of money, but it was a certain price. You could get the river boat, you know, tour and pick anything you wanted. It just floated around on this, on this, uh, on this river throughout the restaurant. It was absolutely insane. You know, someone asked me, uh, you know, what did you love most about being in the NHL? And I honestly will say the restaurants. 100%. I, I'll never no eat question. in restaurants like that probably no ever question. again. No I mean, question. It, it wasn't it, the bars. For me, it had nothing as much as, you know, I like my cocktails as next as the. We like to go out and party and you got to go to some cool, you know, night spots or whatever. Some of the hot spots that, you know, you hear about. Yeah, but it was it was the having the opportunity to go and eat in some of the finest restaurants in North America on a regular basis. Yeah, like Boston. Boston had incredible, incredible restaurants. There's so many places that. What's I, the place in Boston that? What's the restaurant in Boston that that I remember? I remember it the was first. a huge place. The ceilings were like you know, 50 feet high. Do you remember that one? I, I can't, I you're not, cannot remember. You're not thinking of the, the chain. It's a, like that. There's like six I think of them. It, yes. I think, I think it was a chain. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, that was a uh, capital grill or no, that was uh, not Ruth's Chris. Something Ruth. like that, but you get it. It was incredible. Like amazing. There's only amazing. like six. Yeah. It was, wasn't it Palm, the Palm? could have been i i can't remember so there's there's like six of them across the u.s i remember but that's not the place i'm talking about the place i'm talking about was abe and louis do you ever go to abe and louis i didn't oh my god i probably did but like i ate everywhere i ate everywhere like you gotta my, think like i mean i was in the league for 16 years yeah i mean i ate in every single restaurant and it was my, to the point as i got later on in my career you know these young guys, they want to go to these big chained restaurants, a Ruth Chris or a Morton's, like these big steakhouse. Places. Great options, by the way. And they're but- incredible. I mean, they are incredible. But as I got older, maybe a little bit more crustier, um, I, I enjoyed going to try and find places. Like I, I spent the time to try and find the places that were the holes but were elite in, in, in the food and how they produce, or, you know, the, the atmosphere and stuff. And I think, I, the, I, I think the restaurant you're thinking about in Boston was Smith and Walensky. I I've eaten there, but that wasn't it. But okay. I mean, we could do this all, all day long, but um, like I said, Florida, Tampa Bay, just because of the, the weather um, Nashville, the 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 nightlife was 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 awesome um vancouver same thing the 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 sushi that they they had uh they had one of the best bars in 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 uh with the live music what was that bar um what was the bar called in vancouver roxy 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 yeah, yeah. and uh my last one, I mean, there's just so many. I enjoyed Boston. I enjoyed, obviously, Montreal, but I played in Montreal, so I can't really pick that So because I picked apart that entire city for, for 12 years. Um, I would probably say my last one, just because I'm, you know, I played in Montreal for so long, 
and I, and I really desired and, and enjoyed when I went to warmer places and I really enjoyed Dallas. I planned a rookie dinner in Dallas. But yeah, Dallas was all right. We didn't go there enough. You played in the West. You played, I didn't play in the West ever. So I didn't frequent like, think those about places. It. Like, when I was playing San, San Jose, Jose, exactly. I had your LA, division. LA, Anaheim, Phoenix Coyotes when I was there, Dallas, and um, Vancouver. No. Anaheim. Anaheim, LA, San Jose, Phoenix, Dallas, I think was our division. Was it only five teams? I think it was six. I'm I'm missing one. I'm missing one somehow, but. uh, No, I think it was, there were 30 teams, three divisions of five in each, uh, in each conference, I think. Wasn't that it? Is that how it worked? Three times five is 15. 15 times two is 30. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway, we're, I'm going to save the, uh, the Emmy story for after. And uh, this was great. Last thing I'll ask you, Marshawn, six games. I think you said six right on the nose, right? Yeah. I, listen, when you have an in-person hearing, you're automatically looking at five games. And because he is a multiple repeat offender, he is now... <laughs> He is now the most suspended player in NHL history um, or tied with Chris Pronger. Um, And listen, I mean, the reason I I agree with the actions of Brad Marchand probably warranted if he was a different player, he would have warranted seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 games with what he did. But Number one, he's automatically getting five games because in in person, I said he got six because I think they need to give him a little bit more than what the minimum would be because he's such a repeat offender. The reason why he didn't get seven, eight, nine, or 10 is because he's one of the best players in the National Hockey League. That shouldn't matter. it, it, It shouldn't matter, but it does matter because when you have Boston that is working towards getting into the playoffs, they are in a wild card race. You want the NHL wants Brad Marchand and the Boston Bruins in the playoffs for league wide revenue. That's why he only got six. They had to give him six. It could have been easily nine or 10. He's been suspended like eight times. He was already suspended this year. I had no problem with it. I didn't think it was going to be six, to be honest with you. I said three because I thought, you know, he plays for Boston, and those guys always seem to manage to. Well, how can it be three if he has an in-person hearing and you're, and you're guaranteed five Yeah, because I think, I think when in Pierre Lebrun's tweet it said, um, it, I can't remember how it does. I don't think they had to. I don't think they have to give minimum of five. I think, I think it's, that's the option. I, 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 don't, I didn't understand it. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm completely wrong. But if either an, way, if you have an in-person hearing, you are minimum five games. Marcus Foligno got two for his knee. Yeah, subtle. I watched it. I watched it over and over and over and over again. And and it was in the second fight. Yeah, Lowry and Foligno fought earlier in the game. Okay, 
This is a third period fight, eight minutes left in the game, spirited battle, spirited fight. Both players went to the ice and that's when, uh, you know, Felino was kind of on top of Lowry and he tried to kind of like, I guess, get up on top of him and ended up kind of kneeing him in the head, whether it was on purpose, who knows, but I can't, uh, well, I guess I can kind of, uh, articulate what he was probably thinking and you're not thinking very much at that point in time when you're in that uh that state that oh state he was clearly range. he was seeing red yep um last thing i'll mention team canada today women spanked sweden 11 nothing wow uh, yeah so they're on to the semi-final so here's to hopefully another uh canada u.s final and yeah. some of the greatest hockey you'll ever see the women's yeah. U.S. versus Canada. There is not a there is not a better brand of hockey, in my opinion. Do you want to know, you, know right I know now? You feel the same way. I know Owen Power is on uh, uh, the the Canadian uh, uh, Olympic team. I, I'll tell you this. I would much rather watch the Canadian women play because I love watching Canadian women's hockey. Feisty, fast, skilled, and I just I enjoy especially when they're playing the U S especially because they're two, they're, they're two of the dominant powerhouses in women's hockey. And I just, I really enjoy watching the skill set. Well, this is women. their, this is their stage, right? This, cause they don't have an NHL stage. They don't have that platform. And this is the, this is the women's big stage to, to show what they're made of. And in fact, there's a, there was a heated uh, uh, online debate going on um you know jana hefford stepped in there was a writer in toronto and she wrote basically it's time to take women's hockey out of the olympics because it's basically there's only two teams and you know like we'll get into it more because jana said she's going to come on next week with us so we're going to have jana on and and she can explain more but but this this lady was writing about how you know it's really only two teams in, in the women's hockey and what I think this lady is not paying enough attention to is that those two teams, when they play each other, it's, it's an unbelievable brand of hockey. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable. Uh, I got to find this. Uh, I got to find this for you. We'll talk about it next week because it deserves some, it deserves some mention. And, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring it to light here. And I, I definitely, you know what? I know I retweeted it yesterday because I know Jana wrote something uh, with somebody else and, here it is. Yeah. So it's, it's this, her name is, um, Rosie DeMano and, um, Shannon Zabados, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, basically went at her because the lady wrote, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm killing you here with the, with the time, but, um, uh, I gotta find it. I gotta, I gotta find it. It wasn't at the top of my, wasn't at the top of my, uh, Twitter feed, but basically how women's hockey needs to be taken out of the Olympics. Jana wrote something, um, went off on her. And, um, this lady said that they're, you know, grasping at straws for gold medals and things like that, because it's such an, it's so easy to win a gold or a medal in women's hockey. Cause there's only two teams. So she basically said women's hockey is it's athletes swinging at an easy gold, you know, and Jana responded, nothing is easy about winning gold in any sport. Complete disrespect to those who work so hard to proudly represent their country. And she's absolutely right. So we'll end on that note next week. we got some big guests for you. Thanks for tuning in after the whistle.
That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.